Amen. You open, if you would, open with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, right after Proverbs. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Again, I pray you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. All it seems like when it gets to this time of year, it goes really quick between now and the end of the year. To me, it's my favorite time of the year. Uh, I like a little cool weather. I like being able to make a fire. But I really, I like the special things going on with Thanksgiving and Christmas in the fellowship and the worship of the Lord. So please remember the, the Christmas calendar. We've got a little one you can pick up on a piece of paper this big and one for the youth as well. Uh, just letting you know about some special services we have between now and the end of the year. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You're probably very familiar with this passage, but we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Ecclesiastes 3.1, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. Verse 1 says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Everything that has to do with creation, everything that has to do with Almighty God and His dealing with creation, there's a time. There's a time. There's a season. Things happen in God's timing. You heard, you heard it say because it's true. Uh, things happen in God's perfect timing. And it's of the utmost importance that you and I understand and discern the time. Not just the times. We know from the Bible we're living in the last days. We've talked about it a lot lately. I'll just read this from 1 Thessalonians 5. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For ye for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And Paul was writing that and to the church and to the believers, saying we're not appointed to the wrath of God. We're of the day. We're not of the night. Let's not be drunk. Those that are drunk are drunk in the night. But we're sober. We're of the day. Let us live godly in light of the Lord's coming. And all the end times things, the rapture and the tribulation of the second coming, the things that are coming. So it's not just, but it's not just the end times things where God has a time. God has a time for everything. For everything, there is a season, he says. And for everything, there's a time to every purpose under the heaven. Everything. God has a perfect time for everything. It concerns your life and my life. I think about Jesus Christ. When did he come to this earth? He's the eternal son from eternity past. When did he come? And the angels uh, announced his birth, right? He came, the Bible says in Galatians 4, in the, in the fullness of time. He came in Galatians 4 in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son, right? God does things in his perfect time. He didn't send Jesus 100 years before or even five minutes before. He sent him when he sent him. And he lived and died. He died on the cross at the exact moment. Have you ever thought about this? Crucifixion was not even a means of capital punishment uh, much prior to Jesus being 
born of a virgin and coming to this earth. But the, the prophets prophesied he would hang on a tree. And when he died, talk about the Lord's perfect timing. That was the exact moment while Jesus is giving up the ghost and saying it's finished on the cross to die for the, to be the, the atoning sacrificial victim for the sins of the world is the exact moment that the priests were offering the Passover lamb. That exact moment that that was happening. God has a purpose and a time. He is our, Christ is our Passover lamb. What is it, our lamb? What does it mean that there's a season? A season simply means an appointed time. To everything, there is a season. There's an appointed time. And so we could go on and on. God has a perfect time and is dealing with creations, creation, all that he's made, including our lives. There's going to come to come a day where there's the consummation of all things. You read through your end of the end of your Bible and start reading in Revelations chapter 20 and 21 and 22. There's going to come a time where time is no more. When everything's basically settled, Christ will be all in all and we'll be with the Lord, the redeemed of the Lord, the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, the tribulation martyrs, the pain and suffering will be over. The tears will be wiped away. There'll be a consummation of all things. We'll be in glorified bodies. We won't be wrestling against the devil or sin or temptation or even our own flesh. And Christ will be all in all. And those that didn't know the Lord, they're assigned to the lake of fire forever. But he has a time for that. Don't you wish it was today? Okay? God's timing is his time, and he knows what he's doing. And he has a perfect time for everything. He has a perfect time for everything that concerns your life. And really what I want to talk about this morning is specifically that. This is not an end-time sermon, although we do understand the day and the times in which we're living. But understanding that there is a time for everything, for everything. And it's necessary that the people of God, speaking of Christians this morning, that the people of God be looking to and living by God's schedule and not our own. That sounds like a simple thing, but it's, it's an important thing. It's of the utmost, important, utmost importance that we be looking to God's schedule and living by God's schedule and not our own. I would say specifically when it's necessary that the people of God, that we act and go and do and speak on the Lord's behalf, that we do it in accordance to his will. But not only that we do what God's called us to do according to his will, but we do what God has called us to do in accordance to his perfect timing. You know, in real estate, they say location is everything. Heard that before. Location is everything. Right. Well, in God's timetable, let's say one of the most important things, the timing is everything. Not just knowing the will of God, but knowing when. Not only knowing what he would have me to do, to whom he would have me to speak and so forth, and what he would have me to do with my life, but when he would have me to do it. That we act and go and do and speak on his behalf when he's directing us to, when he's leading us to do it. We need to understand the time, not just the times, but the time in our life, the season in our life. What is God doing in my life? What is God calling me to do? What is he calling me to do now? Not 10 years ago and maybe not five years from now. What does the Lord have for my life now? The timing of the, of the Lord 
and us walking in that timing and by God's schedule, that we would not only obey the Lord, but we would obey the Lord in a timely manner. Timely obedience to the Lord is very important. Timely obedience to the Lord, to Christ. We need to know the will of God. You and I, need, you need to know the will of God for your life. You need to know the will of God also for this hour for your life. We need to clearly hear as the people of God, the voice of our good shepherd, knowing what he has said to us and then obeying him in the right time. A lot of us have had the Lord speak to us through the years. If you've walked with the Lord a long time, you've felt the Lord leading you. You've felt the Lord prompting you. You've felt the Lord leading you to forsake and give up some sins in your life or, or begin ministering in some way. It's not enough that we hear the voice of the Lord. We need to obey the voice of the Lord. And we need to obey the voice of the Lord and the prompting of the Lord when he's prompting us to do it. Timing with the Lord is very important. I'll read this from 1 Chronicles 12. And the children of Issachar, one of the tribes of Israel, the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. They had understanding of the times. These particular group of men at this time knew, they knew what was going on, maybe in the, the, the history of Israel, that particular moment of God's dealing with Israel and they knew what Israel was supposed to do at that moment. That's a godly thing. It's a godly trait. It's a godly revelation from the Lord, but it's of the utmost importance. We're to wait on God. We are to listen for his voice. And when he speaks, we're to obey him. When he speaks, we're to obey him. Our attitude, our mindset, and our practice as believers, as those that have been washed in the blood of Christ, are, we belong to the Lord, right? We don't belong to ourselves. And our attitude and our practice in response to the Lord should not be, well, Lord, later, later. God's moving us to do, do something. God's showing us what he would have us to do or forbear from doing. And we say, not, not now, later. That should never be the response of a child of God. Some other time, Lord, I'll do it when, when it's convenient. I'll do it when I get around to it. I'll do it when I feel like it. I'll do it after I've finished all the other things that I want to do. We would never accept that from our children. God's not going to accept that from his, his children. We belong to him. And when he speaks is when we're to obey. When he's leading us and guiding us. In Revelation, I'll just read this, chapter 22, 10. He told John, so this is the last book in the Bible. John the Beloved's on the island of Patmos on the Lord's day. He's in the spirit worshiping the Lord in a prison camp, basically. God gives him the whole, the revelation of Jesus Christ. All the end times things and, and the return of the Lord and his kingdom and everything to follow. And the Lord says to him, said unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. I'm only reading that because the Lord's saying, like when Daniel, when the Lord revealed visions to Daniel about end times events, when he was in Babylon, during the Babylon captivity, Babylonian captivity, he was told, write this stuff, but seal it. 
It's because the time's not yet. He gets to John's day, and he shows him many of the same things that he showed Daniel hundreds of years before, and he says, don't seal this book, the time's at hand. They both had similar visions about end times things and the second coming of the Lord, the Antichrist and all these things. And, he's, and he tells John, don't seal it, the time's at hand. God's timing is, is of the utmost importance and we need to be living on his schedule and obeying and walking and knowing and discerning his schedule. What is he doing? What is he doing now? What does he want me to do and when? Okay, and again, it might seem very basic, but it's very important to our Christian lives. It's very important to you and I serving the Lord, our usefulness to the Lord and being used by God. Remember, he's, he's looking for faithful servants. He's looking for those that are good stewards of what he's given us. He's looking for those who, uh, who he can, uh, vessels of honor that he can use in every era, every age, every era, when there have been saints of God on this earth. He's looking for people that are vessels of honor, and we need to be attentive. Those that can fill, fulfill his will on the earth for, for this time. Esther, she's, she's one that I think about often because she was brought to the, the kingdom of Persia. Unbeknownst to her at the time, she was just part of the Jewish captivity, which was first Babylon and then Persia. She's living in the days of Persia with her cousin Mordecai. She didn't understand what was going on, but she was not only brought to the kingdom, she was brought to the king and made the queen for such a time as this. She wasn't made queen a, queen a year before. She wasn't made a queen, a queen a year after. It would have been too late. She was made queen when she was queen, and she needed to take advantage of that moment for God's sake, and to, for God to use her to be the deliverer of his people. Mordecai says, if you hold your peace, God, God can bring deliverance from some other means, basically. But who knows that you were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this? And it's important timing in the Lord's eyes. We need to be seeing with a heavenly vision, not only the overall will of God, but the will of God for my life, not only the will of God for my life, but the timing of the Lord Jesus Christ for his will to be done in and through my life. And I say this, and I'll say it for myself, there's no place in the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ for procrastination in doing the will of God. We might procrastinate about a lot of things, fixing that leak under the sink or something where you procrastinate right? I need to get my tires rotated and the oil changed. I'm way overdue on that. And we put off because we're busy. That's one thing. But as far as obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no place in our lives for procrastination. Think about it. What If, if I put off getting an oil change and my tires rotated because I'm whatever, something in your life or my life, we're taking care of something that at the time is more important, right? But when it comes to obeying the voice of the Lord, what is what could possibly more be more important? We might put off doing something because we don't feel like it. We'd rather relax and watch TV or whatever and then go to get an oil change. And we're putting it off. But when it comes to the Lord saying, 
Randy, do such and such, and he calls me. What could possibly take precedence over that? What could be more important that I'll say later? I've got this to tend to first. Is this more important than that? Obviously not. We know that. But sometimes we live that way. There's no place in the life of a disciple of Christ in procrastinating to do the will of God. Nothing else is more important than obeying the Lord. Now, I'll say this. Certainly, we're not to get ahead of the Lord, but we don't want to lag behind the Lord. Both would be problems, right? If you get ahead of God, Moses did so when he, he, he just had this knowing that God, and, and the prophecies as well, that God's people were not going to be in bondage forever there in Egypt. And he had a position of authority in Pharaoh's household. And when he saw the taskmaster beating one of the Hebrew slaves, his brother, he killed the, the, the taskmaster and hit him in the sand. You know what he was doing? He got way ahead of God. God wasn't ready yet. He could kill all the Egyptian taskmasters he wanted to until he got caught. He's not going to deliver the people from slavery. It wasn't God's timing. He got ahead of the Lord. He ended up fleeing, right? He was afraid because the thing was known that he had committed this murder. It was 40 years later. It was God's timing. God's timing for him and God's timing for Israel. God's time to bring him out. God's time for Pharaoh to show himself mighty in, in the eyes of Pharaoh. We can get ahead of the Lord and we can act rashly. We can act uh, out of our own initiative, our own strength, our own will, even if it's a good thing. Even if it is, quote, a Christian thing, we, we can sometimes get ahead of the Lord and, and act in our own strength and out of our own wisdom. It's never, never going to be successful. Never. But we also don't want to lag behind. We don't want to delay. We don't want to delay our obedience to the Lord. Once we know from God I would say the how, when, where, what. Once we know it from the Lord, that's the time to do. Not, not some other time. The moment, I'll say this, why is it so important? This is one of the reasons. Why is it so important to obey the Lord in a timely manner? Well, first of all, he's the Lord. And nothing else should take him priority in our lives over doing the will of God. I don't belong to myself. I've been bought with the blood of Christ belong to him but also the moment that he's calling us and de desiring us to go and to do or to speak whatever it may be that moment may pass us by have you had in your life any moments from God that passed you by and you regretted it I have I've had moments that have passed by the opportunity from the Lord may be over I knew it was God's will, and I didn't do it, and it passed me by, and it didn't come back up again. The, the moment didn't come back again. Sometimes when we delay our obedience to the Lord, the Holy Ghost fire in our hearts may fade away. We've all had that where we just feel like we can reach out and touch God, maybe a sermon, a service, something where the Lord's dealing with our hearts, and we're so eager, we're ready to go die for the Lord at that moment, and we delay our obedience to the Lord, that Holy Ghost fire can dwindle. That unction from the Holy Spirit, that faith moment to step out and do the will of God, our faith may fade. The, clear, the clearness of the vision from God may fade. 
We see it clearly. We know just what to do. One through ten. We see it like a picture painted in front of us. And we delay our obedience to the Lord. We know it's God's will. We just think it's not a good time. And we don't obey the Lord. And the vision uh, fades. And the clearness of it is gone. Can't remember exactly what it is. That sermon God was giving me. Or what he was prompting me to do. It fades away. I've learned one thing. If the Lord wakes me up in the middle of the night. Or I'm in the middle of doing something. Or reading my Bible with my family. And the Lord shows me something. And and starts to show me something about a sermon. I'm going to go jot it down. I don't want to forget it. It's too important. If he begins to show me something. And that would go with anything y'all. In our lives. I think about Philip. There's so many examples in the Bible. When, uh, when Philip was, uh, there was a great revival going on in Samaria. Philip was not one of the 12 apostles. He was a layman. He was a deacon in the early church filled with the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And he went and preached Christ in, Phil- in uh, Samaria. And the Samaritans were getting saved. And there was great revival there. And at that moment, the Lord says, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go towards the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. So not only did he obey, he could have said, Lord, there's great revival here. I'm needed here. This is an outpouring of your spirit, which it was. There's a move of God in here in Samaria that Gentiles are being saved. And I'm here, and it's wonderful, and, and I'm needed here. There's a lot, of more, lot more people here that need to be saved and hear the gospel. But it says, he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit, of the, un, the spirit said unto Philip, Go near. And join thyself to his chariot. You know what that was? Besides a God thing, which it obviously was, it was also God's timing. It was a God moment. And it was that moment. And it would have passed Philip by. And it would have passed the Ethiopian eunuch by. Maybe God would have sent someone else. Because he's a kind God. But that was the time that Philip needed to respond. And it's almost like a simple childlike faith to just respond to the Lord. I want you to leave here, Philip. He could see with his eyes what was going on in Samaria. It was wonderful. I want you to leave this and go. He didn't even tell him what was going to happen when he got there. But at that moment, Philip left and went and did what he was called to do. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 14. The Bible says to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Let's look at Numbers 14. God's dealings with the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness. We all know the account. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Moses had sent out the 12 spies, among whom were Joshua and Caleb, one from each tribe. They would cross the Jordan River, go into the promised land, spy it out. I think they were there for 30 days. Take notes, tell us whatever, what everything's like, where the enemies are, what their weapons are, whatever. Come back and give us the report. And Joshua and Caleb brought this report that we can easily take it. The Lord's with us. Let's go up at once and take the city. And 
the, the other ten, the Bible calls it an evil report, and said they were giants in the land. We were like grasshoppers in their sight, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and the Lord just brought us out here in the wilderness to kill us. We wish we were back in Egypt. Or we're just, God brought us out here to kill us in the wilderness. All right, so that was an evil report. So what happens? The Lord hears it. Let's look at verse 33, Numbers 14, 33. And God begins to give this sentence, this judgment on the children of Israel. Remember, it says in Hebrews, they died in unbelief in the wilderness. They could not enter in because of unbelief, that first generation. And your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years and, your, and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses are wasted in the wilderness. This is part of their judgment for their unbelief and making the, the rest of the people so afraid. All right, verse 39. And Moses told the, the saying unto all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. So they get this pronouncement of judgment from God. Moses tells it to the people, and the people start weeping. And they wrote, listen what they did. And they rose up early in the morning and got them up into the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here, and we'll go up unto the place which the Lord hath promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? But he, it shall not prosper. Go not up, for the Lord is not among you, that you be not smitten before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and ye shall fall by the sword, because you are turned away from the Lord, therefore the Lord will not be with you. But they presume to go. They presume to go, okay? Unto, and, they, and they went up to, unto the hilltop. Nevertheless, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. Then the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites which dwelt in the hill and smote them and discomfited them even unto Hormah. What's the point of that? Point is it wasn't God's timing that second time. First time they were sent spies. Come back, give a report and like Joshua and Caleb was in their hearts, let's go on up at once and take the land. The 40 years of wandering now, we know, and you could get a brain cramp thinking about it, but the Lord knew that was going to happen, and yet it was a result of their sin and disobedience. It was possible had they just gone on and believed the Lord and gone into the promised land, okay? They did not. Then they, they got this pronouncement of sentencing from the Lord, you're going to wander in the wilderness till you die, 40 years, Every one of that first generation dropped dead in the wilderness. Not one of them in the promised land except Joshua and Caleb. Okay? And, and now they're scared and they're disappointed and discouraged and everything else. And say, we're going to go. We're going to go. We've, we made a mistake. We sinned. We're wrong. Let's get up there and go fight. Moses didn't go. God, he already had the pronouncement of judgment. He had given it. And the Ark of the Covenant stayed in the camp, and Moses stayed in the camp, and even tells them, why do you now go? It's not going to prosper. And that's the way it is sometimes with things in our lives. I will say this. God can, because he's a kind God, and he's sovereign, he can give you and give me a second chance to do what we should have done the first time. He can do that, and sometimes, I would say oftentimes, he does that. 
but he does not promise to do so, nowhere in his word, nor does he, is he obligated to, well, God, you have to give me a second chance. He does not, nor does he promise to do that. He'll always forgive our sins when we sin, a thousand times a thousand, but he's not obligated, nor does he promise to give us a second chance as a child of God to go forth and do the will of God. I messed up. He can't. And I thank God oftentimes he does. But he doesn't promise to do that. I wanted to read this because I was thinking about it as, as the Lord was giving me this, this word for this morning. I've never done this. I've seen it done. Maybe somebody in here has done some blacksmith, some forging of metals, okay, where you melt down the metals and you get them to the right temperature. And I thought this was interesting. I'm going to make a point here and use this for an illustration. There's a forging temperature of different metals. In other words, there's a minimum temperature that the metal has to be heated to in order for it to be moldable. And I just, I just jotted this down. For stainless steel, it's 2,003 degrees. Minimum te temperature for it to be forgeable or moldable. For cast iron, it's 2,060 degrees. For carbon steel, it's 2,246 degrees Fahrenheit. And for wrought iron, it's 2,700 degrees. That's the minimum temperature at which the, the metal can be worked and molded and bent and shaped without it cracking. It's got to be at least that temperature. And also, the metal does not stay at a moldable temperature for long. So if you've ever seen a blacksmith working, whatever metal he's working with, he knows the temperature, the minimum temperature. He sticks it in the fire. He brings it out. And I was reading some testimonies of people that, that do black, blacksmith work. And they're saying that they, they pull it out of the fire and they get about four hits was the most they could get. Now, I don't think that's all cases. Maybe they didn't have it quite hot enough and they would have to stick it back in. But as soon as that metal cools just a little bit, it's not moldable. It's not forgeable. You know what I was thinking? You could, you or I or anyone, we could take that piece of metal and with all of our might bang on it with a hammer Till the cows come home, so to speak, and that is not going to bend and shape the way we want it once it's cooled off. Once it gets below that temperature, however much might you put into it, diligence, effort, stick to it, all that, and bang on that metal, you could do it for the next 25 years, you're not going to get it to shape and mold to, the, to the, what you desired it to be. There, comes, there was a time to do it. You've heard the saying, strike while the iron's hot or while the metal's hot. That's, you have to hit it while it's hot. And I believe that for our lives as Christians. It's not enough that we know the will of God. We need to move and respond and do the will of God while he's dealing with our hearts. Our hearts that are inflamed in a good way of the Holy Ghost. We're on fire for the zeal, for a love for God, for a desire for God, a desire to do his will. And then we put it off for some reason, and that fire quenches. His will didn't change. My need for that will to be accomplished in my life didn't change. What changed is I didn't, I didn't respond and obey the Lord when I could have, when I should have. Don't seal up the prophecy. He told John, the time is at hand. 
There are a lot of things that are not, it's not the time at hand for our lives. There are things that are yet future. But there are a lot of things or something that is at hand, where the time is at hand for your life and my life. And so it's like the, the law of the manna, uh, the law of the manna in the Old Testament. You know, there was actually a law for the manna. The manna is what fed the Israelites, we know, 40 years in the desert. It literally meant, what is this? What is, manna meant, what is this? Uh, it would never been eaten before, and it's never been eaten since. It was eaten by the Hebrews for 40 years in the wilderness. That was it. And it came down every day, and the law was, here's how it's going to work. Every morning when you wake up, it's going to be on the ground like the dew. Like the dew just kind of comes down slowly and is on the ground. You're going to wake up and it's going to be there. Gather just enough for that day. For you and your family. However, he didn't tell them how, just how much you think you can eat. You and your family and will need for the day. Gather just enough for that day. What would happen if they were, somebody was a sleepyhead and they slept in all day and they said, oh, I think I'm ready for breakfast and it's 1 p.m. What had happened to the manna? Okay, it had melted. God said it would melt. He said, but when the sun waxed hot, it melted. I had to hang on till tomorrow, right? And then get up early enough to get it. What would happen if they gathered too much and say, I feel like sleeping in tomorrow, and I'm going to gather a little extra, two times as much manna today, so I can take off a gathering tomorrow. There's a law for that. What happened to it? Yeah, it, it rotted quickly, supernaturally fast, had worms that bred worms overnight. How about that? But on the Sabbath day, when they were told to gather twice as much the day before the Sabbath, it didn't mold or grow worms on the Sabbath day, that extra that was gathered. This sounds like a, I mean, it's an interesting story. I think it's interesting. That really happened. But Jesus said, your fathers did eat manna of the wilderness, and they're dead. I am the bread of heaven, which came down from heaven. If which a man eats, he'll never die. I'm going to give my life a ransom. And I think about feasting on manna. You know when we're to feast on the manna of God? If he is the bread of heaven, when are you and I, spiritually speaking, supposed to feast on the Lord? Today while it's called today. Today while it's called today. I'm really busy. I'll get around to worshiping, praying, reading my Bible, obeying the Lord, witnessing. I'll do all that tomorrow, next week, after the holidays, you know, whatever, during the holidays. And the time to do that, it's like the law of the manna. The time to do it is daily. Daily. While we have a breath in us. While we have a heart that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. While we seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. When, when thou saidest, seek ye my face, David said, my heart said, thy face, Lord, will I see. When you said it, that's when my heart said yes. And that's when he came. God's not obligated, nor does he promise to give us a second opportunity. He may. For a lost man who doesn't know Jesus, you know when the time of salvation is? Now is the time of salvation. He's not a obligated to give a sinner tomorrow he's given them today and if they're hearing the gospel that's when they should be saved it's when they can be saved is today but for a, a child of God can I tell you it's always you know we're saying knowing God's timing I'll say this it's always time for a child of God to pray it's always time 
to seek God's face, to hear his voice, to be thankful. It's always time for that. But there are times we need, we need to hear from the Lord because there are times he would have us to, to wait and there's times he'd have us to go. I know that. It's always time to pray and seek the Lord and do his will. But in that, within doing his will, there are times to wait. Not yet. And there are times to go. I think about a Labrador retriever. I've never had one. I've duck hunted and I've duck hunted with them in the blinds before with other people had them. But those don't up in a train. They're not out frolicking in the pond, in the marsh, jumping up and down, chasing, you know, beavers around in the pond. They're waiting until the shots go off and a duck's down and whoever trained them sends them out. Until then, they're waiting motionless. Probably doing a lot better than the hunters are doing in the blind. Sitting there. And when it's time to go, they go. And when they get the duck, they come back. And then they sit there again. That's it. Because they're not doing their own will. They're doing the will of the one that trained them. There's a time to wait. And there's a time to go. If the, sh- the duck's down in the water and getting away, crippled or something, it's time to go. You need to get out there now. The dog's not going to be kicked back, sleeping in a hammock. He's going to be out there getting the duck. So there's times in our lives, it's always time to pray and seek the Lord. There's times to wait and there's times to go. Sometimes we're hidden away with God unnoticed. Sometimes we're testifying before men. Paul was three and a half years in the Arabian desert after he got saved. Do y'all know that? It's almost like, almost like we forget that part about Paul. He did testify right away of the Lord. But sometime early on, he was set apart. The Holy Ghost taught him to basically catch him up to speed with the other apostles and their knowledge of the Lord, having walked with the Lord for three and a half years. He's in the Arabian desert being taught by the Holy Ghost. It was a time for Paul not to be preaching or to be the apostle to the Gentiles. It was a time for Paul to be taught by the Holy Ghost. Then when it was time to go, guess what? It was time to go. There was a time when the 120 had a desire to tell people about Jesus, but the Lord says, wait for the promise of the Holy Ghost. It wasn't time to go. You're not ready yet. It's time to wait. It would have been a mistake. It would have been out of God's will. He says, wait, tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high for the promise, which, you've, which I've testified that's coming, whom I will send from the Father. Then it was time to go. There are those tribulation martyrs. I want to read this. When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. There are going to be people saved in the tribulation, and there are going to be people mostly that are saved in the tribulation, martyred for the Lord Jesus Christ. Slain for the word of God and for their testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord? How long? How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And Lord, when are you going to pay them back, basically? When are you going to get the evildoers that killed us? We were living for you. We have a testimony for Christ. They killed us for our testimony for Christ. And they're still apparently prospering out there. How long, Lord? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest 
yet for a little season. Remember, season, season means an appointed time. Rest for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. There were more that were going to be saved and more that were going to be martyred. And then he was going to take care of all of it. He didn't say, I'm not going to do it. He says, just wait. I want you to rest. I want you to rest for a little while. I've got this under control. So there are times, y'all, I would say that, that we are itching to go. There are times that we want to do. And God may say, wait. And there are times that God says now, and we're wanting to linger. Neither one's going to be. We need to be on God's timetable. There's times that we may be reluctant to go. I think about Lot, right? This just man was vexed by their evil communication. He lived in Sodom. And yet he was a worshiper of Jehovah. Had a lot of compromise in his life. The Bible says he was just. He was not part of the sin of Sodom, but he was way too close to it. Way too comfortable there. So what is God? Abraham, who's not at all part of it, and a friend of God, is interceding on behalf of his nephew Lot and his family. And so the angels, the Lord says, I'm going I'm to get him out of there. And he sends the angels of the Lord to get Lot out. And they say, get up out of this place. God is about to rain down fire and brimstone and destroy this place. Their wickedness has reached up to heaven, and we're coming. I'm telling you, God's doing it. Get out now. You know what the Bible says? While he lingered. Can you imagine? Is that a time to linger? There are times to linger. Just hang out and talk to somebody after church and linger. He might, oh, we've hours passed, and we've been chatting for an hour. This is not a time to linger. He told them what the angels told Lot what was going on while he lingered. He was hesitant. He was reluctant. They actually had to lay hands on him physically and get him out of that place. Didn't get his son-in-laws with him. Didn't get his wife out. Okay, there's a lot in that story about Lot. But the point is he was hesitant to do the will of God. God's timing is of the utmost. Elijah, we did a whole study on his life, and I'll, I'll be bringing this to a close, but Elijah was shut away with God during the famine, which was a result of his prayer, okay? James tells us that Elijah was shut away with God during the famine out of public eyes for uh, over three years. He was the man of God for the hour, and for over three years, he's out of public view. It's just him and ravens by the brook Cherith. That's it. Not another person to preach to or to call to repentance. And yet he's in the will of God. The nation's going to hell in a handbasket, so to speak. They're killing the prophets of God. They're, they're uh, ordaining the worship of Baal and setting up uh, altars in the place of altars of Jehovah. They're putting altars of Baal and even reared up a temple to Baal. And the king and queen are the big proponents of this. And that's going on. And for three and a half years, he's shut out of the public view. He knows this is going on. He must have been anxious to go. I would think he would have been anxious to go. Lord, how long? It's been six weeks. Well, you got another almost three years to go, Elijah. You know what I mean? Wait. And then he went to the widow in Zarephath and was just with her and her son, ministered to them. You know how long he was there? Out of the public view, 
talking about God's timing. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Hallelujah. It's time. And you and I need to know that time. We need to know it for our lives. We understand the times in which we're living. But we need to understand the time. I got was probably almost three years longer than he wanted to be shut up. Not that he was miserable. I'm saying he wanted to be, we're people of action and Elijah's wanting to do and he wants the people to repent and come back to Jehovah. And God says, wait. Until the word of the Lord came unto him and said, go, show yourself to Ahab. We see it over and over. We read about Peter. At this time, the, 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 the early church did not fully grasp the fact that the Gentiles were to be part of the body of Christ and part of the church. They didn't understand it. I wouldn't call them bigots. They just didn't understand. They didn't know. And, and God gives this revelation on the rooftop to, uh, to Peter about rise, kill, and eat. And he says, I don't eat that stuff, Lord. I'm, I'm a good Jew, and I don't eat that stuff. Three times the vision came, and he says, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean. What was he doing? Preparing him to go into a Gentile's house and bring the gospel because the Lord's the Lord of the Gentiles too, the Savior of the Gentiles too. And guess what timing? What's the timing of that? It says while he doubted about the vision, he still didn't know exactly what it was. There's a knock on the door. Timing. He's wondering about the vision. I don't quite get it, Lord. Knock, knock, knock. There's some men out there. We're Cornelius sent us here. God spoke to him and said for us to come look for you by name. And, and to, to bring the gospel. It's just amazing. And he went at that time. And they're all sitting in the house waiting. I knew you'd come. God showed me you were going to come. God had to show Peter too. Had to show them both. And they all got saved. And they all got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we see it over and over again. I'll bring this. Try to bring this to a close. But you and I need to know this. Lord what am I supposed to do? And Lord, when am I supposed to do it? He'll show us. He will speak to us. He will reveal it to us. And when he says go, we go. While we're waiting, it's not a time to twiddle our thumbs. While you're waiting on whatever it is, like Elijah in the wilderness, while we're waiting, we pray. We would say here, as, as Christians, we gather with the saints of God. We study his word. We obey his word. But the Lord hadn't showed me anything. Yes, he has. He's shown you to seek him with all your heart. He's already shown us that. The things he's already revealed in his word, we're to be doing those things while we wait. We stay filled with his spirit. We keep ourselves unspotted from the world. These are while we wait. And all the time. We wait on God, but we wait on him as a faithful servant. He that, he that uh, followeth he that serves me must follow me. And Jesus said, and where I am, there will, will my disciple be also. I think a lot of times as Christians, I know everybody here. And a lot of times I, I know for many of you, I know things you're praying for in your lives and that you desire. Now, maybe your lost loved ones to be saved. Maybe whatever it may be. And I think a lot of times we probably assume we're waiting on God for that answer. And I think a lot of times we are, but I think there are sometimes God's waiting on us to do what he's already revealed to us to do, and we're not doing it. 
We're not going to get further revelation. We're gonna get, not going to get more instructions from on high. We're not going to receive the next thing because the Lord says, I'm still waiting for you to do what I told you to do in 2018. You know, understand what I'm saying? We need to know that. We need to hear from God. I'm not saying that's always the case. I do believe sometimes it's the case, and we need to be ready. That would be my thing. When, when, when the Lord spoke to Elijah to go show yourself to Ahab, he said, well, I got about another more week here that I promised this widow that I would stay with her and her son. You know, I'm teaching him how to do carpentry work, and I can't quite leave yet. It's when the Lord says, go show yourself to Ahab, he went. We need to be ready. Don't get ahead of God, but don't procrastinate. When he says, go, we need to be quick to say, yes, Lord, and to respond. Amen? It's not enough that we pray and hear the voice of the Lord. We need to pray and hear the voice of the Lord and obey him and obey him when he calls us, when he's calling us to. D, you can come up. I want to read this. Just from Psalm 123, 2, 2. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look unto the hand of their masters. I'm thinking about that Labrador retriever, okay? But he's talking about people here. As the eyes of, a, of servants look unto the hands of their masters. You might not even notice a servant in a room. But that servant is, if it's a good servant, they're watching their master to see what he may desire or want or want from them. To almost anticipate it, okay, and to be ready. As the eyes of the servants look unto the hand of their masters and the, as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. I think we're to be, and it's just a picture, it only goes so far, but I think we're to be like that Labrador retriever. We're to be waiting, not sleeping and snoozing when we should be alert. We're to be waiting, and we have one that we're looking for, for him to say go. We know what it is, and then we know when to do it. And when he calls us to do it, that's when we do it.